So I had to go and see Titanic with my mum. And it was the first time seeing like basically a sex scene. I was obviously like, right, you're just focusing on the big ship and the iceberg. And then your mother's like, oh God, now we're gonna have to have a chat and drive home now about like, what she's just seen. Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema, a podcast from Biffa, the British Independent Film Awards, all about celebrating the very best talent in the British film community and the cinema experiences that made them who they are today. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader, and we'll be talking to rising stars and legendary names from both in front of and behind the camera, exploring their origins in filmmaking, their inspirations, their memories of the cinemas they grew up going to, and of course, the most important question, whether they like their popcorns, salty or sweets. And as well as celebrating cinema, these podcasts coincide with the British Independent Film Awards themselves, which happen on the 18th of February on Facebook and on YouTube, hosted by my favourite blonde-haired villain, Tom Felton. (laughs) And from Monday to Friday this week, we're releasing a brand new episode of This Is My Cinema every day. Michael, if you had a cinema for a night and could make us watch anything you wanted in the whole history of cinema, I'm dreading the answer to this question... (laughs) What would you put on? Well, I think in our previous episode, Harris Dickinson out-art-housed me with his references to Kez and Kenzie Mizuguchi black and white Japanese films at the close-up <laughs> cinema on 35mm prints. So I might go a bit a bit normy with my suggestion. I would want people to come in from the cold, sit down and watch on the big screen Robert Zemeckis's Who Framed? Roger Rabbit. Oh, that's such a great one. That is so good. I was not expecting it. Yeah, you've outdone yourself. That is a film that was one of the first films I saw in the cinema. I loved it since I was a kid, but it's the one that I rediscovered many times throughout my life and get something different from it. And right now, I think it's just a perfect encapsulation of what's great about 80s Hollywood cinema. It's anticipating a rebirth in American animation. It has Bob Hoskins and Christopher Lloyd at the top of their game. And where else would you see Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse sharing screen time? And the answer to that is nowhere else. (laughs) That is a fabulous choice, Michael. I applaud you. Our guest today is Neve Alger, who is nominated for Best Supporting Actress and Most Promising Newcomer at the Biffa Awards this year for her role in Calm With Horses. I'd loved Neve's performance in that film. And Calm With Horses, unfortunately, was released just a couple of days before the first lockdown happened. Yeah. Uh, so people really should seek it out now that it's more available, just to catch not only Neve's amazing performance, but the whole cast. Cosmo Jarvis is also incredible in the lead role. He's excellent. They have such great chemistry in that. I really love talking to Neve not least because we got to talk about Pocahontas, also one of my childhood (laughs) heroines, and Leonardo DiCaprio, who I'm sure you as much as me, Michael, must have had a bit of a crush on. Well, in the chat, we'll be getting to being smuggled into Titanic by parental figures. But yes, both (laughs) Pocahontas and Leonardo DiCaprio, both staples of Neve's childhood cinematic outings. And we also get into how she straddles film and TV. She's also got this rising star TV career in projects like mm-hmm. The Virtues, Raised by Wolves. And in the last year or so, you know, TV and film, we're watching them all at home. So who better to mm-hmm. talk about that level playing field? We also hear from Neve how just writing a letter can get you into the industry. It's that simple. Who knew? And of course, what her dream trip to the cinema would be. So here is Neve Alga.
Neve Algar, thank you so much for talking with us today for This Is My Cinema. For the duration of this chat, this is your cinema. We've created a scenario where you have free reign over a cinema for one evening. And the question we start with is, what film would you like to show? Oh, okay. So are we still like living in the world where we've all been stuck inside for the majority of the year? So it's not like we've all been at the cinema quite regularly. It's the cinematic experience you're looking for so i suppose it would be something like jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) that's a great one (laughs) genuinely or uh, i was gonna say about not bad but i like you just i miss nights out and the madness of that unpredictability and it's something like train spotting not saying that on a night out we all go wild and start taking heroin (laughs) or anything like that but <laughs> I don't know. I think it's like it's been a year of isolation, and you know, everyone's slowly but surely losing their mind. So it wouldn't be anything too emotionally heavy or <laughs> or drama based. So I think it's a mixture between Jurassic Park or Train Spotting. Those are really good shouts. <laughs> like when you're picturing yourself watching Jurassic Park with all your mates, what's the cinema that you're picturing yourself in? I think I'm at Picture House in London. Just off Shaftesbury. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because when I first moved to London, I got in, I had my bags with me and I'd just come from the London Film Festival and (laughs) I was trying to meet my mate to find out where the flat was that I was moving to. And I just saw this cinema and I was like, oh, it's like home. It's it's got like a big foyer. I can wait in there. I remember just like going upstairs into the foyer of that cinema and there's like, it's got a bar, a restaurant. And I was like, what is this place? Me growing up in Mullingar, which is a small rural town, we had like a two screen cinema and it got shut down for about eight years when I was a kid. And so you'd have to travel to like another town in order to go to the cinema. So, yeah, I think my perfect place right now would be in, back in Picture House with like a glass of wine and just sitting down and watching Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a classy image. You're Isn't painting it? There. Yeah, <laughs> the way Spielberg imagined people to, to view dinosaurs on the big screen (laughs) it's interesting you go straight to jurassic park because i think for people of a certain age because of the way that was released as a pg or something it was one of their first films in a cinema and it terrified them for life Mm -hmm. Uh, can you remember what the first films you saw at the cinema were was it jurassic park no it wasn't it was pocahontas (gasps) my mom brought me and my two sisters up to dublin because she wanted it to be like this big special event and um, so we went to the Savoy in Dublin which was the biggest cinema at the time we all went to it and we got oh, I remember it so well so you got like popcorn but in the middle of the popcorn you know like when you were kids and you got cereal and there used to be a toy in mm-hmm. the middle of the cereal and it was probably the only reason why you, you bought the cereal to begin with oh yeah so in the popcorn you got a figurine from the film and my sister she got Miko my other sister got Pocahontas and I was absolutely livid. I got the bad guy, Governor Radcliffe. Radcliffe. You go Radcliffe. Yeah. <laughs> I got Radcliffe. <laughs> oh, but he did have cute pigtails. He did have cute pigtails. But like, that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted Pocahontas. No. I was only probably about three, but I remember it so vividly. And it just feeling like it being transported into a whole other world. Because the screen was like, to me, was like the entire room. I love that. And I love that you're still so cross about not getting Pocahontas all these years later. Yeah, I tried to rob my sisters. I had Ratcliffe, that figurine, for ages. So he was obviously always the baddie in all my imaginary stories that I would create with all the teddy bears and everything in my room. 
going back to that cinema that closed down when you were younger. So did you actually get to go to the cinema and did you see anything at that particular one? Yeah, so it was like oh, such a cool little cinema. So it was a two screen cinema and it was run by this woman called Miss McKeown and she used to go around with a flashlight <laughs> and the seats were like they were double seats. So you get two people would fit in a seat. And so it was the perfect place if you're going on dates or like trying mm. to potentially go on a date with someone. But she's going, if she ever thought like people were like kissing down the back of the screen, she'd like literally shine a torch in your face and you'd be so embarrassed. You'd be, you'd be mortified. Yeah, I remember I went to see Titanic there and I was too young at the time because I think it was like PG, was it PG-13? I think it's, yeah, 12. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's 12, yeah. And Miss B. Cohen was inc- like, she pretty much ID'd adults, like married parents to see like a film that was 18s. So there wasn't a chance he could go see it. And I tried to go see it with my sister, who was 13 at the time, and I got refused. So I had to go and see Titanic with my mum. And I think I was only about seven. And it was the first time like seeing like basically a sex scene on screen. It was like me and my mom chilling out watching this. I was obviously like, you're just focusing on the big ship and the iceberg. And then your mother's like, oh God, now we're going to have to have a chat on the drive home now. <laughs> I was like, what you've just seen. Yeah, that was my first experience. And I, it was a great little cinema. It didn't have a foyer. So if you were queuing to go into it, you had to queue all the way down the street. And uh, you could always tell whether or not like a screen was going to pack out or not because there was basically a McDonald's halfway up the street and if the queue was further than that there wasn't a chance of getting in to see it it was a great great little place what kind of films then were you watching post titanic post that very first sex scene that you sort of thought oh this is what i want to do this is what i want to do with the rest of my life i want to be on that big screen like i don't think it was ever just one significant film where i went oh that's acting and that's what i want to do i think it was when i was in school I went to an all-girls school. We had this teacher called Miss Cosgrave and we did CSPE. I don't know if you have that here. It's like civic, social, political education. Oh. <laughs> Basically what we did in it was she just like slap on a movie and in a roundabout way at the end of it, she would get us to talk about like the social scenes, but the social situations of the characters or the people in it. And it was always like male protagonists in stories that I was just because they had the better storylines. I'm so like envious of girls growing up now because they have such a platter of female performances where the characters are the lead narrative within it. I like growing up in the 90s and early 90s, you're like Leonardo DiCaprio is like, everyone is like obsessed about him, but also he was doing the best work. I remember my first date, like proper date, <laughs> I think I was like 11. And did I you went, get a flashlight shone in your face? Yeah, I did actually, I did. <laughs> got a flashlight right in the face but I went to see The Departed I remember the oh. film but I don't remember the guy I went to the date with so that obviously <laughs> the movie stayed with me and then I think after I watched The Departed I went back and re-watched I went and like watched all of Leo's movies that I did before that so like Basketball Diaries What's he Eating Gilbert Grape and saw oh that's how like people can form careers and the idea that like you're not just one person you play a collection of characters and I don't think it's any one thing. It's like an accumulation of things. It's so fascinating. So you're saying that, you know, growing up, you had to almost like find your own 
role models, maybe, because mm. you're not seeing these performances by women on screen. You have to kind of imagine yourself in the Leonardo DiCaprio role and hope for a future where there is that. And we do have this platter of amazing female performances now. As one of the actors in the equation nowadays, do you feel the responsibility of the young kids in the cinema seeing these characters on screen? Yeah, because I think that I've got nieces and I get, I get, I get like emotional because I want to create female characters that have agencies in their own stories. And I want to feel like that there's people on screen that they feel represents them in some form or the other, even if it's just the emotions that the characters are going through, but not so much the characters themselves. When I was older, I had to seek out the female performances, someone like Gina Rowlands and Woman of the Influence, because at the time, Mm. the more commercial stars were men and the females in the story were just the supporting characters. It's always trying to tell the truth of, of that person and not just lead back into the stereotypes of what we think certain people in society are meant to be. It's just finding that connection and just telling the truth of that person. I find it interesting whenever we talk about, in this case, it's the Biffers, the British Independent Film Awards, often so many of the films, the best films, are co-productions with Irish companies. And often it's hard to maintain that distinction between an Irish film, a British film, a European co-production. Meanwhile, Irish cinema has, in the last decade or so, has been incredible. And the filmmakers, the actors, actresses coming out of there has been terrific. And I wonder, now that you've kind of risen through the, the ranks of that community, is there a film or a filmmaker you'd point to as a recommendation we can take away from as somebody who really is emblematic of the great stuff coming out of Ireland right now? Yeah, Lenny Abramson. Like Lenny's always just told character stories. There's a real magic to and simplicity to his filmmaking. There's a film of his, I don't think it's as well known as like Room or or what Richard did, but a film called Garage. It's like a beautiful central performance by an actor called Pat Short, who when I was growing up was, he always did comedy like the character in which he plays is like it's the complete opposite it's this misinterpreted relationship between him and this boy that lives in this in this very kind of small town very rural town that reminded me I suppose of where I grew up and it's just a really innocent relationship with that young guy and it gets misconstructed and it turns into something really dark and you can I know there's something very relatable about that and you can see that people in societies especially in small towns become really isolated because of the miscommunication and people wanting to label them as as odd or weird or different. It's just a very simple story with a beautifully told central performance. And and then on the other side of that, there was a film that I watched growing up as a kid called Into the West, which is a Mike Newell film. I feel like Into the West is like on the fantical side because it's like this encompasses the magic of childhood. So basically it's a story of these two little boys from the inner city in Dublin who are given this horse called Tiernanog and they keep it in their like tower block flats in Dublin and then the police find out and they take the horse off them and basically the boys go on this mission to get the horse back and so they they run away and then kind of halfway through the film it turns into this western and almost like a chase for the police to get the horse back and I don't know it just shows the transition of coming from what's make-believe and then into what's reality. And 
it's such a beautiful balance of the two. And also, I think it showcases the fantastical, magical side that people kind of relate to Ireland, but not like in a leprechaun <laughs> top of the morning <laughs> to you type way. Or, you know, the, the grim bleakness that we can kind of get caught in with Irish storytelling. And this is just, I feel like it's just a beautiful balance between the two. I remember talking to you about a year ago and you were talking about Lorcan Finnegan and your connection and your relationship to his filmmaking. And I loved the way that you saw something in his work and his films that you really related to. And so you reached out to him. Can you tell us then how that led to you getting a part in one of his films? Yeah. So at the time I was interning in the studio space in Dublin called The Factory. That was actually ran by Jim Sheridan. And so I was just like... <laughs> I was trying to like figure out the the film industry and the television industry while I was still in school and Jim was like oh make sure you come down to Galway and check out the film festival so I kind of just jumped on a bus and went down to the film festival and sat through loads of short films and Lorcan Finnegan's Foxes played Mm -hmm. and I just kind of wrote down on a sketch bag I was like Lorcan Finnegan's like Foxes and I just googled (laughs) his name found his email address I was like oh that was easy <laughs> like, <Boringly. laughs> yeah <laughs> but he does he, he runs a production company called Lovely Pictures and then just you know, like scroll through all of his other other work that he had done and I just sent him a, a message and I just said look I just was down at the festival and I saw foxes and I just think that the work that you're doing is it's like I was trying to sound wise beyond my ears. <laughs> I was like 19 and I was like, it's unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life. And it's like <laughs> As if I was coming at it from like years and years of cinematic experience. And then I didn't have an agent when I was training and uh, a casting director called Louise Kiley was casting his feature and he gave obviously the characters brief and he just kind of remembered that email that I had sent to him and just like, just get Neve in to read for it. I'd like to see what she kind of does with it. And that kind of landed me in that role and landed me in London with my agent. So I went to Toronto and then to London Film Festival. So paid off <laughs> Googling people's contacts. I love that. That is what everybody tells you to do, isn't it? When you're sort of an up and coming filmmaker or an actor, they just like, you know, reach out, email people. And we live in this quite cynical world where we think, oh, surely not, that would never work or we're embarrassed. And then the reality of that was that it paid off and that was like one of your first steps into it, which is like... Yeah, well, you've you've kind of got nothing to lose. Like I didn't have an agent, so I had no other way in Mm -hmm. of trying to get auditions at the time. And I think there's like when you're young, you're naive, so you're not really thinking, oh, is this kind of crossing the line? As regards like professionalism, you just kind of think, well, that's a genius idea. Why else would he put his email address up on the Internet for only for people to contact him? Is that something that you sort of like take forward even now, though, even though obviously now you're established, you have an agent. But I know you've spoken about working with someone like Lynn Ramsey. So how are you going to ensure that happens? Is it a similar technique you're going to use? (laughs) I'm going to find out where she lives (laughs) and hand deliver a letter. <laughs> no, I think now I'm just trying to have in my work, and that's a representation of me, and just open that. Now I have the ability of having like calling cards in the representation of the work. Mm-hmm. But like, even still, like, I did a film last year with Prano Bailey Bond of Censor. Oh, I just saw it. <sighs> it's cool. so good. Thank you. I loved it. I know we can't even really talk about it, but I can tell you that I'd gotten the audition and. I did the audition and I did a tape, but then I'd wrote her a letter explaining my understanding of the character, 
because I felt like because it is psychological and it's psychological trauma and the character is going through this this whole you know journey of uncovering the truth I just kind of wanted to give my interpretation of what I felt like she was uncovering and I, I wrote that in the letter and and Prana obviously responded into a way that she was like cool okay she gets it because I think that it's with a character like that it's kind of hard to showcase something say just in an audition tape mm. because you're not really seeing the full arc of the like the character goes completely 180 from the beginning to end yeah but yeah still like I'm still writing letters to people <laughs> 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 I love a good letter <laughs> but also I think it's like just to make sure that like I myself am committed to this it's not just like oh I've got like a couple months off I might as well just do something and it's there's like that expression like what are you going to do with this one life and it's like it looking at as like time is like precious and I think we've all kind of began to realize that over the last 18 months it feels like we feel like we're so frustrated because we feel like we're wasting time by sitting inside Mm. and everyone is just so eager to get out and do something and make things but like that's how I feel it's like if I want to do a project especially now it's something that I'm fully committed to and invested in and also especially with Prano because this is her debut feature film this is her baby so Mm. it was incredibly important to her to make sure that all the pieces were fully committed to it. I feel like you know it's quite obvious that horror is often not really talked about in the same way as other genres. Critics are notoriously snobby about horror so for things like Censor to get you know it's already got so much excitement and acclaim and is that something that you were expecting, having read the script, having acted out those scenes? Were you thinking this is one of those horror films that's going to break through? I felt like when I'd read it, it's funny because it never kind of came in as like, oh, there's this horror film. I think for something like Censor, it's definitely like a critic's, like a film, not geek. <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm, I'm a geek, so I'll use that word. Favourite because it's taking all these kind of subgenres and references and film references and utilising them all in the best possible way, but not in a way that's unaccessible for audience that don't understand. It's incredibly accessible, but also it's kind of talking to people on two different levels, mm. I feel. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a massive horror fan, but when I read it, I was like, this is something that would really get under my skin. I don't want to give anything away, but I just it, it really kind of stayed mm. with me. I think this leads us back to another one of our questions about your dream cinema Neve. Censor and horror is a genre that plays so well with an audience on a big screen when there's tension and moments of shock and real scares. We're asking all our guests about a moment in a film that you were really happy to have seen with an audience on the big screen. Does one come to mind? You know I was at it was in a cinema in Dublin and it was during the Dublin Film Festival and I saw Victoria Mm. which is that one shot it's like what is one shot yeah Yeah. I think it was like being in an audience for that and you could feel the angst and anxiety building (laughs) from the audience as the film progressed because the stakes started to begin to get higher and higher and higher for the character and you're you know it's a central performance and it was just such a memorable cinematic moment for me when that's only just recently Mm -hmm. but yeah I used to work in a cinema 
when I was uh, in school. Oh, cool. So you must have and shared I, so many of those collective experiences then of watching an audience gasp all at once. Exactly, because I remember, and I, I must say, working in the cinema is probably my favourite, other than acting, was my other favourite job ever. <laughs> and they started me like on box office and then they took me off that because I kept on letting my friends in <laughs> see free movies. And then I was like moved on to like the Ben and Jerry stand and they took me off that because I was giving out too much ice cream. <laughs> And then eventually I landed on the floor and that's literally just cleaning up the cinema before people go in to, mm-hmm. to watch a movie. Oh, people eat the weirdest stuff in the cinema. <laughs> like they really do. You know, we're going to talk about like what cinema snacks, like people bring in full on dinners during the You're cinema. You're kidding. Like what? Oh my gosh. So someone brought, okay, so McDonald's is a really popular uh-huh. one. The worst is when people were eating KFC. Oh. So there'd be just like chicken bones oh. on the floor. God. Yeah. And then yogurt. Yogurt is really, really popular. I just don't know. And soup. There was like one time I went in, there was like just, just like this soup carton <laughs> sitting on the ground. And I was like, what? I was like, where am I coming to? Just like, oh, that's it now. I'm going to have my nice bowl of soup, some breadsticks. We're laughing. It's a proper date. So now when films you're in are on their cinema tour, do you think about those audiences with their chicken bones watching (laughs) Calm With Horses or whatever? (laughs) You kind of really hope that someone is not, that someone can like sit through 90 minutes and not be like, God, I'm starving. I I felt really heartbroken for Nick and Dan, the the producer, Nick, the, the director on it, that it didn't. Like the film went to go out like two days before mm. the national lockdown, the first lockdown. Mm. And then, <laughs> and then thankfully it went out on like streaming services. So I felt like this is like the film that just keeps going. Do you know like people talk about like road rage and they're the sweetest, loveliest people. And the minute they get into a car, they go ballistic mm-hmm. at people on the road. I'm like that in the cinema. I get like cinema rage. So like if people start talking in the middle of the cinema. Recently enough, I went to see Baby Teeth. I think that was the last oh, yeah. film yeah. I went to see in the cinema before the lockdown again. And this guy in the middle of it just started scrolling through Amazon. <gasps> and I was like, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like politely just leaned forward and I was just like, put your phone away. Now. <laughs> and I said it really low key and really calm. I think he was like, oh my God, she's going to flip. Yeah. If I don't put this phone away. That sounds very sinister. I love it. <sighs> like, put your phone away. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand it. You pay money to go see a film. Cinema, it's an experience. Otherwise, go home, watch it at home and eat your KFC, <laughs> you know. The cinema, is it's an immersive experience. You're there for the, the sound, the quality of what you're seeing. Mm. And to feel, like, to have that experience with, like, other people who are all on the same page as you, just want to see the film. <laughs> I think that Calm With Horses was the last film that I saw before lockdown. And it is an incredible film. And there are so many of those moments where you're sort of gasping because it's trauma filled film. But I was just thinking about when you saw yourself on screen for the first time. Do you remember that? Do you remember sort of that rush of seeing yourself? Are you one of those people who can watch yourself on screen? Oh, I'm always terrified. There's nothing you can do. It's like, because <laughs> it's not like theatre where you're like, tomorrow night, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to do it differently. There's always going to be a second chance. You have no control mm-hmm. over what you're doing or what your face is doing. I find the weirdest is when I use my own accent in a film or in TV, because I can just hear myself, whereas it's I can kind of, I suppose distant myself from what I'm seeing because I suppose we never really see what we look like Mm -hmm. because it's always like when you look at yourself in the mirror it's not the same I'm in awe of people who can just watch themselves on the screen and be like 
you know, I'm, I'm really comfortable with it. I'm not like that at all. I have to see it like a few times because then I need to know. All right, it's OK, it's fine. Yeah, it's good. OK. It's just a character. <laughs> well, I think it's harder for my family, though. I think they find it harder to watch because the characters that I've played are quite like dark or they're going through quite a very mm. dark experiences. And I think it's harder for them to witness that because they can all like like I'm the youngest in my family so they've just been like oh there's little me <laughs> on the screen but like it's like why is she so sad you know why is she being so mean to that to that guy because there's no one else in my family that acts and they're not in the arts so it's for them it's still like it's so bizarre that their uh, their kid is an mm. actor I often find that people who aren't in the industry are the people who give the best feedback because it's no nonsense oh yeah 100 <laughs> yeah oh yeah the family they keep you grounded <laughs> They're like, my dad will not be afraid to be like, to tell you like what he thinks of stuff. He'll start off being like, no, that was really good, Neve. And then like an hour into the conversation, it's flipped 180 and be like, ah, to be honest now, you know, like it's, ah, that bit now was a bit over the top, you know, it was a bit like, I didn't know if I believed you there. And you're like, thanks, dad. <laughs> I felt great. And so now I know I'm just going to like cut the conversation short and just leave. <laughs> that's such a dad thing to do that's exactly what my dad does what was that first role that you remember seeing on screen and really feeling like you'd made it because you were on a cinema screen do you remember that you know what I don't think it was until I did the virtues really interesting yeah because tv of course it was when I saw because right so I was in this place called the factory they kind of take people who aren't actors or in drama school or anything like that or it's that kind of workshop base and it's very loose and people are free to kind of explore their own style of acting and I was obviously like a huge Shane Meadows fan as a lot of actors are and I was watching This Is England at the time and we were picking these scenes out of This Is England and I picked the scene from This Is England it's a scene with with Lal and Combo when she goes to visit him at the prison mm-hmm. and it's that kind of like forgiveness and like not asking for forgiveness but she's thanking him for what he did and we did that scene and then it was really weird seeing my character in a scene with someone who I looked up to massively as an mm-hmm. actor and was just incredibly inspired by Stephen Graham of course that was a very I suppose a very emotional moment feeling like wow okay I'm doing this you know. So we've been talking about cinema a lot but as you just talked about the virtues just had I think such an impact and then of course raised by wolves I feel like the barrier between tv and cinema is kind of the really obvious differences have sort of melted away now I think especially in the current situation do you think there is still something different or extra or special about working for the big screen I think people are beginning to rethink things now because of where we're at at the moment climate wise of like, there's going to be so much TV, I think, produced because, well, everyone's going to be indoors. But with what's so special about film is that you only have those 90 minutes or whatever, two hours to tell the story. So the idea of kind of fine tuning the character, because that, that's the only thing that you've got control over is the journey of the character and what they go on. But it's, I've never felt like as an actor, I've never felt the difference between being on a film set and being on a television set. I think maybe it's because I'm just very lucky about the 
the directors that I've worked with mm. because they do both. So I don't think they ever change the way in which they direct. And I think that's the same with actors. It's not like you change your, <laughs> your, your yeah. acting to suit the screen. I think if you start thinking like that, you begin to lose focus of what you're actually doing. Mm. You know, you're not thinking about like, oh, this is going to be, my face is going to be massive <laughs> on, a, <laughs> on a massive thing, cinema screen. Because if you, th- you start thinking like that, you're like, holy crap, that spot that's just appeared today is going to look ginormous. <laughs> but no, there's a beautiful intimacy, I feel like, with cinema mm. because you're absorbed into that character's world. And like, as a kid, I think growing up, you get lost in that character's world and then you start to feel like you could be that person in that situation. So... I think you're always just kind of chasing that mm. again as an actor. It's the idea of playing, getting lost. I just wanted to ask you, this is a slightly more general question. Considering we're talking about indie films, do you think that indie films create more opportunities for young filmmakers? I've been watching, you know, obviously quite a few recently and it feels like there's somehow less compromise on an indie film. Do you agree? Yeah, it is because I think that a lot of the independent films are focused on the characters, their character stories. So as an actor, it's like a generous amount of room for you to showcase Mm. what it is that I suppose that you're trying to do and trying to tell an emote over like a certain period of time. But there's a closeness, I feel like, with like an emotional closeness that I've always felt with all the directors that there's an investment in what you're doing because it's a very vulnerable thing, acting. So... I feel like any of the first time directors that I've worked with, they're always incredibly appreciative of the actors that they have on set to emotionally go to these places and give that part of themselves for what is essentially their story. You want to be able to tell these very kind of human stories that you haven't seen represented before for people. It's not like you're doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the person that's going to see themselves represented in that character. And that itself, I I feel like, is the reward for the film. Amazing. I wonder whether it is time for the the big final question. So, Niamh Algar, thank you so much for talking with us today about your cinema. Now, we've touched on this previously, but one question we're asking all our guests is a big one in the minds of every cinema goer. It is, how do you like your popcorn? Sweet or salty or neither? Do you like to take in a snack or would you never dream of it? I'm all about the popcorn, sweet and salty all the way. Mixed. A mix. Nice. Yeah, a cocktail. Yeah. yeah. And do yeah. you fancy a, a glass of white or red as well? I'm a red wine girl. Yeah, <laughs> I am. This is a re- it sounds like a really fancy. Oh, I can't wait to get back to cinema. <laughs> oh my God, this sounds amazing. So let's just wrap up that cinema trip. This is Jurassic Park. Picture House Central in London with a sweet, salty popcorn cocktail and a glass of red on the side. I mean, that sounds like yeah. a really nice night out. That sounds for me. <laughs> Thank you so much, Neve. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much to Neve for that very lovely chat. I loved hearing about the lady with the torch catching the people snogging in the background. So glad I didn't have a woman like that in my local cinema. Michael, did you ever get torched? Well, I mentioned this up top, but I went to see Titanic with my mum and my auntie and I wasn't 12. And I remember the look on their face as probably for the first time in their lives, they've had to break the law and lie to the ticket seller. (laughs) Yes, he's 13. He's 13 honest. (laughs) I remember like always being prepped by my parents about what my date of birth was if they were trying to get me into a 12. (laughs) 
Also, I've been lucky, and know you've been lucky enough as well, to see Censor. So it's amazing to yes. briefly talk about that film, which has got great notices out of Sundance, particularly for Neve's performance. Yeah, we are massive fans of that. Now, Michael, who is next through the swing doors of our cinema? So... Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we have Sarah Gavron, who's nominated at the Biffers for Best Director for her work on Rocks, which is also up for Best Film. Perfect. I can't wait. This Is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffer. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Annie Hughes and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen.